that was always attributed to uh, Germany, and I think that that was colored by Hitler and what he did in the 20th century. However, <clears throat> uh, no matter what, I like to go back to the Scriptures to see what indications we might have from God's Word itself as to the identity of different peoples and different leaders. I think it has become quite clear, as I said, that this nation, though it be the tribe of Ephraim of Israel, as the firstborn that God appointed there in Jeremiah 31, and the leader of Israel, all the Israelite tribes, including Judah, today, uh, we are also described as the modern, ancient, or modern Babylon, as a type of the ancient Babylon, because we are, in this time, a world-ruling empire. We don't, as Americans, think of ourselves that way, but anybody who doesn't agree with us gets stomped just as much as the Roman legions ever stomped anyone. And we are the hammer of the whole earth, as Jeremiah calls us, among other things. And we are the nation that has made the nations rich. It wasn't the Catholic Church. Uh, it is the economy, the politics of this nation that has made the nations rich, as Revelation 18 points out. And when we go down, the merchants of the earth are going to sigh and cry because of the market that has been lost. So we won't go into that again <clears throat> in detail, but let's understand that very clearly in Scripture, those who come to destroy America are the Assyrians. And I've been looking more and more at the possibility that the Assyrian is not German at all. And in fact, even our own scholars and researchers over the decades indicate that there are a lot of Israelites within Germany, uh, Gad, perhaps Asher, and maybe others there as well. And the tracing of peoples into Germany uh, is very difficult for scholars to prove that they came from the ancient Assyrians, or as most of them say today, the Syrians of today. Take off the ASS and you got, or the AS, and you've got Syrians as the root word of of Assyrian. I can I can trace them into the Crimea and Ukraine as easily as I can into Germany, and perhaps easier. But that is a thing for scholars to try to trace peoples. But I prefer to look at the Scriptures more in order to see what clues God might give us and what we see shaping up in the world and what, that has, how, what part that plays in it. <coughs> Excuse me. Last time we went through some Scriptures and I came down about to address the book of Hosea. And I would like to go there today. I'm not going to go through the whole book for sake of time and uh, to try to stick more to the theme of the day, and that is, who is the Assyrian, as opposed to the prophecies here against Israel and Judah. It was addressed to both and uh, gives a great deal about why God is upset with our nation today, all the nations of Israel. And I think that Hosea is another one we could add to the list, really, 
of who God calls the great whore of the end time. Uh, we've used Ezekiel 16 to show that, that God is the one who labels Israel that. And Revelation 18, 17 and 18, particularly 18, indicate the same thing as well, because everything described in Revelation 18 points to this nation and fits no other nation on earth today. I mean, you, you read that carefully, and uh, it isn't Lithuania, it's us. So, Hosea can be added to those two as a very, very good reference, because, I'll give it a, a quick summary, the book of Hosea starts addressed to Israel and to Judah, and as you go through the book, it points out Ephraim, who God reappointed in place of Reuben as the firstborn of Israel, who would have the most blessings. Go back to Genesis 49 and other scriptures, and you will see that Ephraim would be the vine flowing over the wall and have more blessings than any other nation. And this nation fits that perfectly above all nations on the earth. We wouldn't have to import anything if we didn't want to. But the story in Hosea begins with God singling out Hosea and giving him a message. But the first thing he tells him is to go marry a harlot. <clears throat> and to act out the scenario that God has in mind for end time Ephraim and along with that the rest of the nations of Israel. She was to, he was to have children by that woman, and then he named them uh, Hebrew names, which meant, uh, you're not my people, and you won't be my people until things change. And names of that, uh, Loruama was one, I will no more have mercy. Uh, you are not my people, Loami, was, one was named in verse 9. So he says that they were to plead with their mother. Uh, that she be what she should be instead of what she was. And that did no good, just as it does no good today to plead with this nation to change our ways, uh, to be what we ought to be before God. It's not going to happen. And in fact, Jeremiah even tells us not to pray for this nation because it won't do any good. We are stubborn and stiff-necked, and he describes... Ephraim in, and Israel, in the book of Hosea itself, is a backsliding heifer. Uh, some of you have handled animals, and you know that if an animal has not been taught to lead to a rope, when you put a rope around their neck and try to lead them, the first thing they do is set all four feet and pull back as hard as they can, and will literally choke themselves to death before they'll come forward. I've seen them pull back and pull back till they actually collapsed and the rope had to be loosened so that they could breathe and live. <laughs> so that's kind of the way we as a people are. So that's the background for the book of Hosea. The end of chapter 3, it talks about how Israel will return to God after all the punishment that goes on and the destruction that is about to happen and that they will return in the latter days. And these certainly are the latter days we are living in today. And it doesn't matter if you even consider the Bible or not, and all the prophecies that God gives. Uh, there's so much 
or are so many threats, let's say, to the world's economy, the world's peace, uh, and other things that are going to bring <coughs> this earth down in the destruction of most of mankind. Those things are out there for people who are totally secular, who do not even consider God or the Bible, to see and predict. They know that we're at the end of the road. And some are reporting it more and more as this thing gets closer and more and more obvious. He even says in chapter 4, verse 17, Ephraim is joined to idols, let him alone. <clears throat> now let's go to chapter 5. I want to pick the story up down here with just that much background. He says, Hear you this, O priests, and hearken, you house of Israel, and give ear, O house of the king, uh, the people, and the leadership. Not, it's not blamed on one or the other, but on all of us. God is not going to just punish our government for its fraud and deceit and lies and uh, greed and all those things. We as a people are also uh, counter to God's laws and His ways. So it's not just on the leadership. It's easy for the people to blame the leaders it's easier, easy for the leaders to blame the people. Uh, that has always been the case in man's history. But God blames both, because we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Anyway, verse 2, And the revolters are profound to make slaughter. So, within our nation today, we have people who have the desire to commit slaughter. They are planning to slaughter most Americans. And the Bible indicates that that will happen. That's why we are having FEMA camps built. That's why they are pushing to get martial law declared and be able to subjugate this people. So it's right here. Though I have been a rebuker of them all, God says, I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hid from me. He says, what, what's going on in this land is not hid from God. For now, O Ephraim, <coughs> you commit whoredom, and Israel is defiled. He blames us first. They will not frame their doings to turn to God, for the spirit of whoredoms is in the midst of them, and they have not known the eternal. We will make alliances with any country wherever to get what we want, but we will not turn to God. In fact, we're turning God out to pasture. It isn't popular to have Him in our schools, even in our churches, and certainly not in our politics today. The pride of Israel does testify to his face. Therefore shall Israel and Ephraim fall in their iniquity. Judah also shall fall with them. Now notice here that it's not just Ephraim or this nation that is going to fall. It's all the tribes or nations of Israel today, comprised mostly of northwest Europe, the Angles and Saxons and, and those people of that background spreading to Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, and wherever uh, Israelites have gone, but primarily Western Europe and here. And Judah is scattered among the nations, not in that little Israel over there, that's mostly Edomites. But uh, they're scattered in this country, they're scattered through Europe and other places. But they're all going to fall together. Now that coincides with what I said, I think, last week, about how the Assyrian cannot be a composite of Israelite nations 
a ten-nation dictatorship, if you will, in Europe, as we surmised based on the resurrection of the Roman Empire and thinking Germany was the Assyrian. Because if the nations of Israel fall and Judah falls with them, then they aren't the leaders who destroy this country. They themselves are destroyed. So when you look at what's happening today in Europe and in Asia, you have to consider that NATO, America, along with primarily the powers of Northwest Europe, are the ones who are aligned against uh, other powers, primarily communist. So the East-West struggle <clears throat> is really what it's all about today. It's not a struggle between America and Germany, is it? Well, we have been spying on them, of course. Caught the NSA doing that, and they were not very happy about it. But we're allies with them. So unless there is a major betrayal, and unless they can very quickly get a military together, they are no threat right now. Germans aren't, nor are the Europeans. Ask yourself where the threat has been throughout your life and mine to this nation. Has it been the Germans? No. They weren't even a threat to us in that sense in World War II or World War I. They didn't attack us. We attacked them at one point. Now, they may have eventually had ambitions to rule the whole world. I know Hitler probably did, but... That was not what he started out to do in the beginning. It was all based in Europe. Anyway, <clears throat> it says that we'll be destroyed in a month in verse 7. Uh, you look in the book of Revelation, well, 18, and it talks there about one day. It talks about one hour. Uh, Isaiah says, suddenly, this says in a month. In other words, it's a very, very short period of time in terms of prophecy. Uh, not a long period of time. So when it falls, it will come quickly. As Isaiah says, we'll lean out like a wall and crash. Zephaniah says it will come with a great crash. So it is going to be a very sudden thing when our economy and our military takeover occurs. Uh, let's go down to verse 11. Ephraim is oppressed and broken in judgment because he willingly walked after the commandment or the wrong commandment or the dictates of the new world order that is now uh, taking charge on the face of the earth through the United Nations and so on. And primarily the bankers and banksters. Now, here's an interesting verse. Uh, he says he'll be a rottenness to Ephraim. Verse 13, When Ephraim saw his sickness, and Judah saw his wound, then went Ephraim to the Assyrian, and sent to King Jerob, yet could he not heal you, nor cure you of your wound. <clears throat> there is a time when we will look to foreign powers for guidance, for direction, for help, who will it be? It will be to our enemy. Isaiah makes it very clear that the Assyrian is the rod of God's anger that he uses to destroy us. And this says that we will go 
to our enemy, to the one who is about to destroy us, for help. Calls her a silly dove, I think, a little further on. Let's look at history just a little bit in the light of that. And understand where our enemy has been all along. Where did a conference occur in November of 1943, and among whom to resolve World War II? You had three leaders, Churchill, Franklin Roosevelt, and Joseph Stalin, who met in a very interesting locale, Tehran, Iran, for a conference that day, And there a deal was hammered out whereby the United States and Britain would invade Europe and attack Nazi Germany or Hitler from the West while the Russians would work on them from the East, trying to get them in a pincer movement. So we made an alliance with Russia, not with Germany, not with whom we thought was the Assyrian, But we went to the Russians for help, and they to us in that sense at that time. Now, things have changed a lot since then. We'll look at the things that are going on a little further down the road. But have we in the past looked to Russia for help? Yes, we have. Was that foolish? (laughs) What happened post-World War II? Then we had a Cold War develop because two superpowers were recognized after World War II. Russia, or the USSR, and the USSA, as it has come to be. Those were the two superpowers that were juxtaposed against each other for decades and had nuclear buildups and saber-rattling and people all over this country were building bomb shelters expecting a nuclear war. It did not develop, and the USSR came apart at the seams. I'm not sure. I've read different reports how much of that was real and how much of it was feigned in order to back off and let some other things develop. Now, in truth, it became a very heavy financial burden for Russia to try to keep up with us in terms of nuclear armaments and the arms race and all that was going on. So, why not back off? I mean, both sides had enough nukes to destroy everyone on earth many times over. So, what point is there in continuing to ratchet that up more and more and more until somebody finally pushes the button? But that isn't what God had prophesied nor intended anyway. There are still some in the splinters of the Church of God who are holding that this will be a nuclear attack on America, and I don't believe that to be the case. Don't think the nukes are coming. It does talk about how our enemies will come in and live in our homes. They don't want our infrastructure destroyed. And Ezekiel 5 and other places clearly show that one-third of our people will die of famine and pestilence, and we're getting on the edge of that now, drought and lack of water, or floods. We've got drought in the west, and we'll have floods in the east real soon now. Already they're worrying about it in 
uh, around the Great Lakes, that that seven feet of snow in Buffalo is going to hit some mild weather and all melt and create havoc there. So it doesn't matter whether it's drought or flood, neither one produces crops, okay? So famine and pestilence is coming upon us very quickly, and it says a third then will die by the sword, so it's an invading army, and a third taken into captivity. If you nuke this country, it'll be radioactive, and you want, won't want those neon citizens going into your country to be slaves. No, they want us as slaves, which the Bible says will happen, and they want the infrastructure for themselves, which the Bible says will happen. So it's not nuclear. I can't say there won't be a small nuclear suitcase or something go off, but the Bible itself seems to indicate that the infrastructure itself will be preserved for the use of our enemies who will take us over. So you can throw the nuclear option out and not worry about that. But there are things you do need to be concerned about. Let's understand a little bit. Karl Marx was a German philosopher. Uh, He was not actually a Russian. He was a German. And uh, he lived in London. He wrote a lot of articles in the New York Times and so on. But it was his philosophies that were adapted by Lenin and later Stalin and Khrushchev, and you know the story. And communism came to be uh, here in the end time. That has had a great effect upon this nation. The Russian leaders over the years... Khrushchev banging his shoe, allegedly at least, and saying they would bury us. Uh, There have been comments made by their leaders here and there. I didn't drag out all the quotes. You've heard a lot of them. Where they said they would come in and take us over without firing a shot. Uh, Words to that effect have been mouthed. And all kinds of threats have been made against the West, particularly the United States, by Russian and Uh, communist leadership over the years. Uh, The communists in North North Korea and in China and various other places have made some of the same threats. Lenin was in charge of Russia from 1917 to 1924 when he was the head politician. He was in Russian politics prior to that. Are you aware that he was the one who legalized homosexuality in Russia. He is the first to, or was the first, to legalize abortion. I never knew that until I looked it up just last week. Russia was the first nation to legalize abortion and to accept homosexuality. Where has it gone? I mean, just in the past few months, even though politicians have been leading to that type of thing, we have suddenly come to the place that homosexuals, can you call it marrying, are now legal in well over half the states in this nation. And every time a nation try, or a state tries to uphold their laws against it, they're overridden by a federal court so that it is being mandated and we are reaching 
the level of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we know what God thought of it there. Where did we come up with these things? As a so-called Christian nation, did we get homosexuality and abortion out of the Bible? Didn't come from there. It came from communism. It came from Lenin himself, who instituted it there. And we have known, and there have been spy thrillers and movies and all kinds of things propagated by Hollywood and others to show the spies back and forth between the USSR and the United States. We know they have been working in our government for a long time, and that's what the McCarthy hearings were about decades ago. They have infiltrated and have been working on our educational system, on our morals, on perversion for decades behind the scenes, destroying us from within for many, many decades. It goes back further than we might even begin to realize. So, who has been destroying us thus far from the inside out? Not the Germans, not the Nazis. They pretty well went away, did they not? The Russians didn't. The communists didn't. They have been working on it, and now they have infiltrated our government to the very highest levels in the land. Congress, the courts, the White House, many, many different places they have filtered in. This is real. This is history. This is our nation today. Now, it says it is in his heart to cut off nations, not a few. Maybe you don't remember the purges that Stalin did in the USSR and the nations around it. But it is estimated, even the official Soviet estimates themselves, say that they passed about 14 million through the gulags into Siberia and other places to be either killed or made slaves. Uh, and killed another seven to eight million more uh, and deported them to remote areas. And no one knows by any means how many people were killed by the Russian leadership, primarily under Stalin. But scholars estimate between 30 and 50 million people were killed. Genocide, racism, hatred for Jews various aspects of people that the communists did not like. That makes Hitler a pauper, actually, by comparison. They have cut off a lot of people, not a few, so they fit in that sense as well. And did they yell and scream at us that they were going to destroy us? Yes. Have they been working insidiously to do so over the decades? Yes. They're beginning to fit the profile of the Assyrian fairly well there, I think. There were many Americans during Joseph Stalin's reign, primarily Jews from New York and other places in this country, who actually went to Russia, changed their names, took on Russian names, and helped Stalin with some of those purges. 
I think they were Edomites primarily, not real Jews. That's another story. But he had help from Americans to do that purge and to kill all those people. All right, let's, uh, let's move on a little bit here, back into Hosea. But they did have that conference back there. So Ephraim did go, if the, if the Russians are the Assyrian, they did go there, even as early as World War II, to look for aid and abettance uh, from Russia. But you know, that alliance didn't last very long. Once uh, Germany was crushed, we immediately went back to our corners and came out for the next round against each other, not against Hitler at that time. He says, verse 14 of chapter 5, For I will be to Ephraim as a lion, and as a young lion in the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will take away, and none shall rescue him. So God is the one, ultimately, who is punishing our unchristian nation for departing from him. And he's the one who sends the Assyrian the rod of his anger against us. So this is a punishment from God. I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. In their affliction, they will seek me early. Let me tie in something here before we get too much further. I think this will resonate with you and perhaps with others in the church, wherever it may be scattered, if they hear it. Talks about the Assyrian who will be the rod of God's anger who will destroy. Now, as you well know, uh, I did that series on the minor prophets that showed that spiritual Israel, the church, would be punished and scattered first, and physical Israel, our nation around us, would be scattered second and go into captivity. So, with the church, it has been a spiritual thing and it has been scattered. And many have died of spiritual famine and pestilence, a spiritual sword, and gone back into the captivity of the culture of this world around us. So we've seen the devastation within the church. Now let's consider for a moment how that occurred. Are those prophecies all fitting together? Who was the one who came in and took the church away and back into Babylon? He was a man who was born in the Chicago area. His parents had come, or his, his family had come originally from the Russian areas, specifically Czechoslovakia, but the name Tkach is Carpatho-Russian, and it is of Ukrainian origin. So he grew up in the Russian Orthodox Church in Chicago. I never under, understood that, or knew that, I guess, or had forgotten it. Grew up as a Russian Orthodox from childhood, 
in the area in southwest Chicago that he did grow up in was a blue-collar Russian area and that pocket of people was clearly from Ukraine and from Russia. He came into the church and over time he received more promotion and so on from Herbert Armstrong. And then seven days before Mr. Armstrong died, he announced to the church and to Joe Tkach that he would be his successor. What did he do? He gave his hand to the Assyrian, to the Russian, the Ukrainian, and told him, you will take charge from here. Jeremiah 50 says that this nation's leader will give his hand to the Assyrian who comes to destroy this nation. Herbert Armstrong tried to take that back just before he died a few days later and reportedly fired or tried to fire Joseph Tkach because he feared that he could not lead the church where the church should go. So... Did the leader of the church, spiritual Israel, go to the Assyrian for help, for guidance, for leadership, and then get turned away when he recognized that that was the enemy indeed? Is that what will happen again on the national level? That we will go to the communists for help and aid and abettance and our leader will give his hand to the communists to come in and rule over us. The parallel between the church has to be the same as the parallel in the nation. For the type to hold, for the prophecy to be dual, both on a spiritual and a physical level, it has to be essentially the same. And within the church on spiritual Israel, we were destroyed from within by people who came in quietly behind the scenes, were promoted and asked for help, and then destroyed. What we have today developing is a confrontation between primarily Russia and the United States. In the recent G20 meetings last week, Putin was pushed out by the West. They even called it the 19 plus 1 instead of the G20. And several leaders of different nations told Putin to get out of the Ukraine and to go home and to mind his own business and various things. So it pitted the West against the East. But let me ask you something. This isn't at all racist. It has nothing to do with race. But we have a leader in our nation today, interestingly enough, who made his home in Chicago, same as Joe Dukach. He is or was trained, and this is easy information to find, 
from childhood by communists. It was communists who funded his college education. It was communists who helped him get started in politics. And there are known communists who have visited him in the White House. His background is Marxist-Communist. He is from Chicago. I think he is making deals under the table today with the Russians. He has gone there because they are communists and he is communist. He purports to be a lot of things, Christian, Muslim, I guess. I mean, he's a mix of a lot of things, Christian, Muslim, and communist, but communism is what is coming out the most. The social programs, the various things that are occurring like the homosexuality, like the abortion, like all these things, are things that happened in communism decades ago and now are at the forefront in our nation today. And I'm not saying it's just the president. It's congressmen, it's governors, it's leaders on every level. I'm apart over the years, and we're falling far behind other nations in technical abilities. Now we're down to common core. We're going to make our religion a very common, low core. It's even named pretty well. Our students, our children, those who would be leaders if the American empire lasted, can't read, write, spell, barely can converse. We are in deep, deep trouble. It isn't going to go that far. But do you know, I've read too many reports in our borders. There are Chinese military people within our borders. Germans have been here down in Alamogordo for a long time. But more recently, we've apparently given our national parks to the Chinese communists. And we are calling the United Nations in and executive orders are being written to this effect, we're bringing in foreigners to control the riots and the uh, martial law and the things that are about to come down in this nation. You can research it. I'm not going to go into all that. But we have been sold out, as Jeremiah says, as our king will give his hand, make a deal. So, Putin and Our president, on the surface, appear to be butting heads like they're enemies. But I think on the phone, in private, hello, comrade, because they're communists. And this is going on behind the scenes, just as Jeremiah tells us it will, and just as our leadership is going to Jerob the Assyrian, when we find that we are in trouble. And those who lead, I say lead, our nation, very clearly understand that they are about to pull the rug out from under us and destroy us so that we can be taken into captivity. And the elites of this world, at least they call themselves elite, will take over with the New World Order. The Bible doesn't call it the New World Order. It calls it the beast and the false prophet, but a world-ruling empire. But America has to be out of the way, and the Scriptures are very clear that Israel has to be destroyed, 
and first Ephraim as the leader of those nations of Israel. So communism has been working on the inside on this nation for a long, long time. And it's coming out more and more in the last few months right in the open. It says there in Jeremiah that there will be a rumor in the land, chapter 50 I think it is, Verse 15 says that I... Let me turn back there and read that to you. I've quoted it recently a little and read it in the past, but let's see this. Verse 15 says that our leader will give his hand to the land of the the king of the north, the Assyrian coming in. Let's see, chapter 50... Do I want 50 or 51 here? Yeah, 15 of 50 says, Shout against Babylon round about. She has given her hand. Her foundations are fallen. Her walls are thrown down. In other words, she shook hands on a deal, and that led to our demise. So that's happening. Where is this one I wanted about the rumor in the land? Now my eye's not falling on it. Oh, here it is in chapter 51, verse 46. Well, verse 45. My people go out of the midst of her and deliver you every man his soul from the fierce anger of the eternal. And lest your heart faint and you fear for the rumor that shall be heard in the land. Rumors of violence, rumors of martial law, rumors of a government takeover and slavery. All kinds of rumors we hear within our land today, don't we? A rumor shall both come one year, and after that, in another, shall come a rumor and violence in the land, ruler against ruler. So, in the levels of government in this nation, we're going to see violence, ruler against ruler. Sheriff Joe, down in Phoenix, just filed a lawsuit against the Obama administration, or not the administration so much, but is the one who just opened up all gates of illegal immigration, contrary to the wishes of the people, and contrary to the wishes of many in Congress, for that matter. And he said, I'm just going to do it. I don't care about Congress, whom you elected, and I don't care about you. I'm going to do this thing. And the upshot of it is... Those who have come in by the millions are not going to be put out. And that indicates also that they're not going to do anything about shutting down the borders and keeping more from coming in, right? And as a testimony to that, they just took most of the guns away from the Border Patrol, allegedly to have them gone through to be sure they will operate and won't malfunction. They don't, they don't operate or malfunction if they're not in your hand. This thing is plotted and planned, brethren. You know why JFK died? He came out against it very strongly and made several speeches just prior to his death about how we were being taken over by a conspiracy that would destroy us. And he started issuing silver certificates, money backed by silver, instead of fiat dollars like we have today, And that was another nail in his coffin. 
he had his problems, but he understood what was going on. And he nailed it. He said it. And died for it. Well, this isn't something new. FDR started socialism. And they used the crash that they created in 1929 to help issue it in. So socialism leading to communism goes all the way back. And he met with his buddy Stalin along with Churchill in Tehran in 1943. Well, this goes back a long way. And didn't George Bush Sr. talk about a thousand points of light and the, the illumined ones and a new world order? And did not his son? And did not Clinton? They've been giving us clues and actual outright statements all along, but Americans can't hear that. And they think that we sit a queen and nothing will happen to us, as Revelation 18 says. But this is coming down very quickly now. And now that we have had our leader declare himself king or emperor or sole ruler or dictator, this violence in the land could happen very, very quickly. Because there are some in our governments, state and federal, who don't like it. And there have been all kinds of executive orders written from George Sr. on down that have been contrary to the good of the American people. So this isn't just an Obama thing. It's been going on for many administrations. But he may be the last because it's coming very, very close. And for it to be that much in the open where the president will simply defy the judicial and the lawmaking bodies in our so-called republic and do things on his own is going to lead to ruler against ruler and violence in the land. Whether it'll take a week, whether it starts tomorrow when that judgment comes down in Missouri, or whether it's something else that sets it off, there are many, many flashpoints that could occur that will bring this about. And several of them could happen all at once. And what God has said will start coming down. It may not be that quick. It may take months. It I don't think that this presidency and this administration will probably last until the next election. I think it's going to come down that quickly within the next two years. Could be very, very short, could be that long. <coughs> I'm not trying to set dates, I'm just saying, as open as it is getting, and the way we're pushing that thing in the Ukraine, it's all about the petrodollar. We're going into Syria, and we're trying to go into Iran despite protestations because of oil and the petrodollar. And it has become very clear, and Putin has said it, it's not just Internet stuff, but he said the United States and NATO were behind the deposing of the democratically elected government in the Ukraine. We're the ones that set that up, and now we're blaming him, at least on the surface. And that one is headed for all-out war, it appears, very quickly now. The United States Empire wants to preserve the petrodollar, so they want the Iranian and Syrian oil fields to go with other places that they have already subjugated to keep the dollar going. 
And that's what this is all about and has been now for decades. So, does Hosea know what he's talking about? We haven't read all of it yet. Let's go on down. Let's see, where do I want to go next? Probably to chapter 7. Let's pick it up here. He said he would have healed Israel, but the iniquity of Ephraim was discovered in the wickedness of Samaria. And so he says, I have no choice. I have to punish you because you're not godly. They don't consider their hearts. They're wicked and so on. Uh, talks about how they're like an oven heated up and like bakers sitting watching the dough rise, waiting for the heat to get up, and then trouble will come. So it's been so it's been kind of like watching bread rise up to this point. I mean, you don't see it every day in the streets, but the ovens are heating, the bread is rising. That's the analogy God uses here, and then it will come suddenly. And it says we won't know where it comes from. There in Revelation 18 and other places, verse seven. They are all hot as an oven and have devoured their judges. All their kings are fallen. There is none among them that calls to me. So it's, there's an indication here that with the violence that is coming, ruler against ruler in our land, no one is going to turn to God, and our rulers are going to fall. Now, I don't know what's going to happen with President Obama. I know that the New World Order people who are pulling his strings uh, had a plan for him to become president. He was groomed for that from childhood and through all of his Marxist-Leninist teaching as he grew up and as a young man. Now, he is, in, he is in some respects an interesting figure. I don't know what it'll mean. There are several scriptures that talk about our kings or our rulers uh, being destroyed or coming down or falling and so on. And that might indicate, I don't know, that our last or leader or leaders may be not only deposed but may be killed. I don't know whether you read it that way or not or whether that's what God intended. On the other hand, he is an interesting figure in that he is part Arab, part black, part Caucasian. He has roots in Christianity, Islam, and communism. He has an appeal, in that sense, to a wide variety of people around the earth. And the leaders of the New World Order, as God shows, are going to be pretty much a world-ruling entity. So someone who can appeal to all the different types of people around the world will have to be utilized. And how that will come about, I don't know. And whether he will be used or discarded is a question that perhaps remains on the table. I'm not here to say one way or another what will happen there. But the scriptures indicate that our leaders will sell us out, as Jeremiah says, and also that they will fall. And what fall means, I'm not absolutely positive, but things aren't going to be as they are. Let's put it that way. Ephraim, he has mixed himself among the people. Ephraim is a cake not turned, verse 8. Now, if you don't turn, 
let's say, a pancake. They didn't make bread and loaves the way we do in those days, but they spread it out on a rock or something and baked it. So it was more like hot cakes or, or griddle cakes or griddle bread or whatever than it is today. But if you put a bunch of dough out on a flat, hot rock and you didn't turn it, what would happen? It would stay light-colored, white, if you will, on the top. And if you left it there long enough, it would get brown on the bottom. Start burning. Look at our nation today. We've always been called a melting pot. Give us your tired, your poor, your weary, and so on to come into this nation. So we have lots of ethnic backgrounds within this nation today. I think more were Ephraimites scattered through countries that came than not. But at the same time, there are people from all kinds of ethnicity here, and some we brought in ourselves as slaves to our shame. But now we have opened our borders completely and totally without guards, basically, so that anyone can come in. And most of them at this point are brown. South and Central America and Mexico. Now there are other peoples from other countries that are coming in as well. But we're a cake not turned. And we are letting ourselves be destroyed by these people coming in. And we are saying we're going to give amnesty and allow this, if it's the prophecies, says the Gentile will rise up high above us. I want to read you something as a contrast. Maybe I'll quit here shortly after this because I'm running out of time. Well, I could go on for a couple, three hours. I, have, I can do that, but you can't sit there that long. But listen to this. This is from the Prime Minister of Australia. And I want you to contrast what she has to say with what you see here. It is so easy for us to be a frog, frog in a heating pot and not notice what is going on around us. This is a short statement she made. But I want you to compare it to what our politicians here are saying and doing this very day. To me, it's eye-opening. She is a leader of one of the tribes of Israel. At least people are Israelite there, whether it's one of the tribes or not. So it's one of the few voices in Israel today that raises up with something true to say. It came to the point in ancient Israel where there were no men who would stand up and lead Israel toward God or show leadership basically in any way. So you wound up with Deborah being the only voice for God, the only voice for Israel that remained. Listen. Muslims who want to live under Islamic Sharia law were told on Wednesday to get out of Australia as the government targeted radicals in a bid to head off potential terror attacks. And the Prime Minister, Julia Gillard, angered some Australian Muslims on Wednesday by saying she supported spy agencies monitoring the nation's mosques. Now, here are her words. Quote, Immigrants, not Australians, must adapt. 
Take it or leave it. I am tired of this nation worrying about whether we are offending some individual or their culture. Since the terrorist attacks on Bali, we have experienced a surge in patriotism by the majority of Australians. This culture has been developed over two centuries of struggles, trials, and victory by millions of men and women who have sought freedom. We speak mainly English, not Spanish, Lebanese, Arabic, Chinese, Japanese, Russian, or any other language. If you would like to hear the menu in Spanish, press one. Press two. Two's bad enough. When they ask me to press number one, it truly irritates me. Those are not quotes from her. That's me. If you wish to become a part of our society, learn the language. Most Australians believe in God. This is not some Christian right-wing political push, but a fact. Because Christian men and women on Christian principles founded this nation, and this is clearly documented. It is certainly appropriate to display it on the walls of our schools. If God offends you, then I suggest you consider another part of the world as your new home, because God is part of our culture. We will accept your beliefs and will not question why. All we ask is that you accept ours and live in harmony and peaceful enjoyment with us. This is our country, our land, and our lifestyle, and we will allow you every opportunity to enjoy all this. But once you are done complaining, whining, and griping about our flag, our pledge, our Christian beliefs, or our way of life, I highly encourage you to take advantage of one other great Australian freedom, the right to leave. If you aren't happy here, then leave. We didn't force you to come here. You asked to be here. So accept the country that accepted you. Are you going to hear an American leader say that? I think the contrast is very loud between what we're seeing and hearing in this country and what she had to say. It gives me chills to hear a speech like that from someone who's taking the lead and telling it like it is, no, like it ought to be. We ought to be a God-fearing nation. And anyone who comes here needs to be taught to follow God. We started out as a Christian nation and we aren't anymore. And that needs to be changed. And we need to close our borders to anyone who comes in here wanting to do anything different. That's the way God set it up. But it's not the climate and the culture of today in this nation of Babylon. A confusion of the nations and religions and cultures of the world. We are not a godly nation. We have left it. You can pray to Allah in our schools and recently in our Congress. 
But dare you pray to God in some of those venues? You get kicked out. When you kick God out of your schools and out of your government and out of your culture, do you expect God to kick you out of your land? Brethren, we deserve as a nation everything that is about to happen to us. And it is going to be God-awful. We must turn to God with all our hearts if we expect to be protected. Now, this has turned somewhat into an indictment on our people. Instead of just proving who the Assyrian is. But you will see in Jeremiah 50 and 51 and these other scriptures that even though he's talking about the destruction of our peoples, he keeps coming back to talking about how we need to turn to him and how we won't do it. So we're going into captivity. And it's going to happen soon. And the ones who are the architects of it are selling us out to our enemies. And by far and away, the ones who have had the most insidious, debilitating, ruinous effect on America are the communists, not the Nazis. So I think we see which way this arrow is pointing, and I'll give you some more proofs.